I want you to open your Bible this morning to Psalm 40. The book of Psalms, number 40. This is a popular psalm. It is with me. I'm sure you're familiar with at least the first three verses. We quote it often. And here's what it says. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me, and he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. And then it goes on and on. It gets really good, and God just simply is magnified more. Verse 5, he said, Lord, your thoughts towards me are so many, we couldn't even count them. That is how God feels about us and his good thoughts for us and the direction that God has for us and the word that he has given to us that he watches over to perform, to bring to pass for us. What a wonderful chapter this is. The other day, we got up in the morning getting ready to leave the house, and the talk show lady was on. Sometimes it's worth listening to the subject matter, and sometimes it isn't. But on this morning, she began by saying, the world is on fire. Everything is crazy. And, of course, I'm thinking, because she was talking about the problem in Japan, and that's a you know, horrible thing to have one of the deadliest earthquakes in history to hit an island, it even affected the axis of the earth in little tiny numbers, but the whole earth felt the impact of a 9-0 earthquake. After that, there was a tsunami that we don't even know how many people lost their lives. Maybe upwards of 50,000. They say that at least 10,000 people died. You saw the pictures of cars being swept off the road and swirled around like Water going down a drain, just knocking around and beating. There were people in those cars, and everywhere that thing went, it was taking lives with it. And you couldn't imagine the horror that they must have felt, and others who watched it and weren't caught up in it, how they must have felt as they watched all of this. Because we watched it and saw clips of it and thought, oh, man. And then after the tsunami came and did what it did and great destruction, then it's a nuclear thing, the nuclear reactors. And they begin to melt down and spew radioactivity into the air, and that'll be felt for a long time. I don't know all the details about it. I'm not even interested. I just know that it must be an alarming thing because they spoke about it as though it was a very serious matter. There is nothing invented by man, and nobody's knowledge has any way to fix all of this. You can't fix earthquakes, you can't fix tsunamis, you can't stop nuclear stuff when it gets out of control. Man is quite helpless when he looks at what's going on in this world and sees the damage that's being done and the horror of it all. But it seems to mesh with what Jesus warned us about. A lot of the world's people look at us as being rude and crude and ugly and hard people if we were to say, for example, that perhaps this is judgment. All those poor folks, judged people have always been poor folks. I heard in the process of all this that Japan just recently gave several million dollars to Hamas and condemned Israel for wanting to build settlements in their country. It would be like Japan might as well call the United States and say, we condemn you for building settlements in Indian territory. 
You took it away from them. And the same thing, we would feel it's none of your business what we do here. Well, it's Israel is a sovereign nation. Whose business is it what they do in their country? But I don't want to get into Israel because you're talking about now what God himself said, it's the city of God. And it's when you touch that, you touch him. And who's to say that judgment couldn't come like that? I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying that, that somebody said that. And I know this, that things don't happen without a cause. I mean, problems do come because of a cause. Something's behind it. People don't just go dying and being swept out into eternity just because there's more people needed in eternity. Some of these things ought to make people like us hold still and think a minute about what's going on here. Listen to what Jesus said. He said, in the last days, men's hearts will begin to fail them because of fear. Fear is a horrible thing. The symptoms in your body say your body and your life is going to be terminated. You're not going to live long. You're not going to realize your dreams now because of this. Fear of losing your job, fear of losing anything is a driving force. It rules people's lives. Fear does. The greatest weapon I think the devil has is fear. And in the last days, men's hearts shall begin to fail them because of fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. Now, Jesus said that many, many years ago. Things that are coming. You can't stop it. You can't prevent it. You can't design anything. Man's majestic inventions cannot stop any of this. Cannot prevent it, even slow it down. It's coming on this earth in the last days. Would you turn to Luke chapter 21? Now, we'll come back to Psalm 40 in just a minute. But look in Luke chapter 21, another one of those end-time chapters, verse 9. But when you shall hear of wars and commotions, be not terrified, for these things must first come to pass, but the end is not yet, not by and by. Then he said unto them, Nations shall rise against nations and kingdom against kingdom. You're watching that as I speak. Within kingdoms all through the Middle East, there is an uprising while I'm speaking. And nobody, nobody is sure of what's going to happen. Nobody is sure about the consequences we'll see in the paper tomorrow. Nobody knows. We were just told that it's going to happen. And he said in verse 11, and great earthquakes shall be in different places and famines and pestilences and fearful sights and great signs shall there be from heaven. And before all of this, he said, Christians are going to be persecuted. There's going to be a turning on you. Maybe you're the reason for it. If George Bush didn't cause it, you caused it. And he says, but before all these, they shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and to prisons and so on and so forth. Jesus said in Matthew 24, these days are the beginning of sorrows because there is a helplessness. You go back to Psalm 40. I believe that what we're seeing and what is said is that in these last days when men can no longer solve their problems and their situations, they can no longer fix their problems or deal with their turmoil. 
Their educational systems did not prepare them for what's coming in this world. People don't know what to do. There's not enough drugs to fix it. There's not enough money to make it right. And it's difficult times of coming on the earth. If there is such a thing as perilous times are coming and people will get mean and killing people is nothing to a lot of people. It's that hour and that day that has come to this earth. You are living in it. You work in it. You're a part of it. You may be separated from it at this present time, but we're living in this world. And this is what's going on in this world. And sometimes the question is, how will we fare if these very things get close to us? How will we do in the swelling of the Jordan, as Jeremiah speaks of? Remember that? If you've run with the footmen and they have wearied you, how will you contend with horses? Or cheer up, folks. The worst part's coming. It doesn't get better. I know what the radio preachers say, and I know what the well-known people are saying, that the finest hour is coming. No, it's not. The days ahead are perilous times. There's nothing fine about perilous times. There's nothing joyful about the departing from the faith. There's nothing entertaining about seducing spirits and doctrines that are not of God. There's nothing good about that because it's part of the ruin. It's part of the flood of the last day that's going to heap up troubles and trials on people that they can't solve. We're living there. It's right now while I'm talking. The very thing that Jesus spoke of is what is coming to pass. Now, in light of all of that, is there any encouragement? Can we go to church and be glad we went to church in light of all of this? Is it possible or must we listen to terrible Tom and his trumpet of tribulation? Can it be that out of the midst of all of this and such a wonderful vacation spot as Psalm 40, what a wonderful place to visit and spend time there. Let's go this morning back to this psalm and see if we can find some encouraging ideas with which we can confront all the stuff that's going on in this world today and, as a result of it, make good decisions tomorrow. Well, better than good decisions, make the right decisions. A lot of good is not exactly right, but right is right. Now, Psalms 40... And verse 2, I don't know how to relate in light of this psalm to the, I waited patiently for the Lord. I don't know if I was ever patient about anything. But I did cry out to God, and I have cried out to God. I think any of us that have been born again have experienced God's salvation, have cried out to him in some degree. Let me begin in verse 2 with the word, he. He. Because God is the beginning of all things that are good. All things that turn out well, it begins with God. Because number one this morning, he, God, is in control of all things. There is nothing outside of his control. And there is nothing in nature, in all of its destructive power, that God cannot stop when he wants to. 
Who was it when the sea was turbulent and the boat was tossed to and fro and the disciples in the boat had been rowing all night long on the Sea of Galilee? I've been there. And from one side to the other side, it's about six to eight miles across there. And if you've been rowing all night long, it's grown men rowing, and you've gone halfway, you're not making a lot of progress. And yet Jesus, the Bible says, comes walking to them on the sea. The wind was boisterous, waves were flopping around, great fear was everywhere because you're going to drown. This could capsize. We're going to drown. We're going to lose our lives. And here comes Jesus walking on the water. Another time in the same sea, they woke him up in the back of the boat in Mark 4. And he woke up and he said to the sea, stop it. Well, peace be still. Quit. And it stopped. Now, that's our hope. That no matter where we are, no matter what's going on, he... God is with you. And being with you, he is in total control. You see, in Hebrews chapter 1, it'd be good to turn there, but keep your finger in Psalm 40. In Hebrews chapter 1, this is a wonderful thought. Verse 3, describing Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory... And the express image of his person, that's good theological stuff there. Jesus is the exact, if you can fathom this, Jesus is the exact representation of the invisible God. To see Jesus is to see God. Are you with me? So describing him, he is described here in his divinity. He says, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and then notice these words, and upholding all things by what? By the word of his power. You could probably say in the same and have it just as right, say, and upholding all things by the power of his word. Should we not speak of that often? We should. The world began with words. Psalm 33, by the breath of his mouth, the worlds were made. God, as you surely know, looked at nothing. There was nothing to look at. It was with nothing. But on the inside of God, you might say, was a picture, an image of what he wanted. And he framed that image with words. He said, be, and what he said became. It had never been anything like that before. Because there was nothing. And God simply spoke a word. Let there be. And whatever he said is what happened. Again, there had never been a word like that spoken. Nothing like that had ever been done. Nothing like that had ever been created. But God said be. And it was. Would you say there's power in the word of God? When Jesus spoke to a dead body that by this time was probably beginning to decay and smell. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. Would you say there was power in his words to cause even death, the most final, final, final there is? That's finality. It's death. When you're dead, you know, you're dead, as the world says. And he says, 
Death, stop it. Go backwards. Come back to life, Lazarus. Come out of there. And Lazarus came out. A widow of Nain. Jesus travels from Galilee down to Nain. A pretty good walk. If you've ever been over there, it's not an easy place to walk around. But he goes to Nain, and there's a funeral going by, and he sees this poor mother weeping about her only son. But he probably saw it the night before because God always showed him what he wanted him to do. So he walks over there to the funeral and stops it. Young man, I say to thee, arise. And he arose because he just spoke a word. He didn't say, now, everybody, put that casket down for just a minute. I'm going to do something here. He just said, arise. And the power of his words caused life to come back into person because his words are spirit and truth. His word is life. And so when he spoke words, then things begin to happen because he upholds, and the word upholds means maintains. He not only created, but he's in charge. There's nothing going on in this world that God is not in charge of. And he can either allow it to happen or he can prevent it. You say, well, why would he let things happen? Why indeed? Why would he let his people be judged? You think curses ever come on Christian people? Curses? Does God want you cursed? Well, no. So what does God say to prevent you from being cursed? He gives you solutions, doesn't he? Don't do this, don't do this, live this way. Hasn't he for how many years now? Nearly 40 years been telling us specifically how to live? We banged our head against the wall sometimes. Well, I don't know about that. We said that. No, 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 no. The word is eternal. It never fades. What is said then, it says now. Man can't change that because it's eternal. The word is forever settled in heaven. And so that's his word. That's what he does. That's what he says. That's what we read. That's what we're supposed to do. It'll never fade away. And he takes that same word that did that creative power like that and gives it to you to maintain your life. Did he not say that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, did he not say you can ask what you will and it shall be done? Did he say that? Not many believe that anymore. People used to believe that, but not much anymore. But it's still true. It's true whether we believe it or not. But that's the power of his word. And he gives you the same power of his word. Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou taken up and cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things he says shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he said. He gives you the same way to operate in this world. God is in control. And the master of all of this is his word, the power of his word. Again, that's what he said in Hebrews. He upholds all things by the power of his word. Listen to this one. You know this one. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. What's it going to be like? It'd be like the rain that comes down from heaven, snow and rain. Brings moisture to the earth, making things grow. And when things grow, you keep some of it for seed and you keep some of it for food. But God refreshes and replenishes the earth that way and he does it for us. He did that for us. 
And then he said the next verse, so shall my word be which goes forth out of my mouth. It won't return back to me empty or void because I didn't send it out empty and void. For the gospel is the power of God. So when I send it to you, I send it to you with the promise and the assurance that I watch over it to perform it and I'll do it. Now, whether you believe it or not, that's what he said. And in that way, he gives you, as his representative on this earth, an opportunity to exercise the same power in your life that he exercised in his creation. Whosoever shall say, speak unto this mountain. You command in the name of Jesus for this to happen. You command in the name of Jesus for that to happen. Jesus said, use my name. And there is power because heaven is watching over his word to perform it. So when Psalm 40 begins to encourage me, it begins with he. I cried unto the Lord and he who is in charge, who has all power, who has all might, has demonstrated his power and his might numerous times, more than you could count, comes down to the level of where you are and he gives you the same right. We having the same spirit of faith as it is written. We saw, we confess, we confess. We say the same thing. Is there power in your words? Is there power in what you all say? Well, is there damage in what you say then? If you tell your child you're rotten to the core, you're no good, you'll never be any good, is that a good thing? You know why it's not a good thing? Well, it might be in the natural sense true. But you know why that's a bad thing? Because that's not what God said to say. That's not what he said to say. Now, you made a choice. You made a choice to say that because you have set the word of God aside and your feelings like that, and so you said what you felt. And somebody's got a microphone in your face. It's called the accuser of the brethren. On the basis of what does the devil accuse any of us before God? Words. Words. Not so much the thoughts. Thoughts will bring forth words, but what you say. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. We do have to learn a new vocabulary, don't we? You ever hear little babies learn to talk? <coughs> kind of dumb, and you practice with them. Duh, duh, duh. You know, you talk like that yourself, especially if you're a grandparent. And when they grow up, every now and then they say a bad word, and what do you do? Ah! And then you tell them, no, 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 we must never say that. God would do the same thing to us as we're growing like children. Ah, Thomas, don't say that. Thomas sits on the front row. I get to preach to him every week. We begin to learn. And the older you get, the more God requires of you to speak like he gave you to speak. Now, whether you do or not depends on just how lofty your mind is in these last days. But for some of us, you just humble yourself before God and let God be God. Let him be in control. You make him master of your situation. You make him master of your circumstances. 
You lay your checkbook out there and you ask God to master this thing on your behalf. He has power to do that. You take your body and you lay it before God and you say, God, I don't know how to do this properly and write and I know what I read and hear and I don't want to read and I don't want to hear it, but I've heard it. I ask you to make it right. And he does. I can tell you, Bonnie, after 40 years, 40 years of this, there's been no medical bills for 40 years in our life. I think it really is true that there's power in the word to do that. I don't care how old you are, where you came from, there's power to do it. Oh, I had a lot of drugs in my life. I don't care what drugs did to your body and warped your mind. God has the power to go, and a new mind comes to pass. Because he upholds, maintains, and has power over all things created, and nothing is impossible for him. Psalms 40 again, verse 2. Secondly, let me encourage you with this. Verse 2, he brought. He brought who? He brought me. How can I be brought if he doesn't bring me? He brought me forth out of the miry clay, a horrible pit. Let me tell you this. I know you know this, and if you don't, you should know this because it helps make you stable. This will. God personally handpicks his own. His own were not left in a static world. God did not make creation and then step back and say, well, I'm going to tell you all the right things to do. And then on the basis of what you all do, I'll make a selection on who of you will be mine. Most all Christians believe that. Not many that don't. That God says, here's the way, lays it out there. I said, now, read it and do it. Now, if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. But the ones that are going to be mine, the ones I'm going to pick to be my people, are the ones who will pick and make the right choices that I give them. So there it is. Again, most people do believe that. But what do you do with a verse like John 15 and verse 16? He said, you did not choose me. Who did the choosing then? God did. Did he choose you? Now, wait a minute. Don't yell yet. Did he choose you? Is there evidence? Has he made you one of his choices? You look at all the choices that God could have made, and he chose you. He made no mistake. He bypassed the scientists and the brainy people and a lot of them, not all of them, but he bypassed a lot of who reasonable people would have chosen if they were God. And yet, those are not the ones, it seems, that he chose to be his. And if he chose you this morning, it's not because you're cute. It's not because you're handsome. <laughs> he didn't choose you because you had some unique talent to offer him or you were noble and brave and not afraid to go places. That's not why God would pick anybody. God didn't choose anybody because God has a need. He has no need. He doesn't need you. He made a world and put you in it and chose you in the world to be his so you can have fellowship with him. You need that. He doesn't have to, but he does. He's not obligated to save anybody. He doesn't have to make a choice. But because he put us here, he makes choices. But he doesn't choose everybody. 
And who's to tell God it's not fair that he doesn't choose everybody? Who said that? See, we brought God down to the level of human thinking, to the natural mind. And a lot of people live their Christian life like God is like them. He thinks like I do. He feels like I do. And he understands like I do. And if I don't do right and I sin a little bit, I mean, after all, who's perfect, right? They think they're getting by with that because God understands. They've never really known God. They've only had a concept of God. As I said once a long time ago, they have a conceptual religion. They see God like this or like this, or all understanding and not in any way condemning their sins. And it's okay to live cool. Somebody has described God like that, and they have made him like that. This is the kind of God that they subscribe to and yield to. They preach another Jesus to you. It's another gospel. That's not the gospel. God is a loving God. You couldn't argue that. His love is past understanding. And the fact that he picked you out of this mess that was in a miry clay is a great, great, the greatest expression of love you'll ever know is for the holy God to pick you of all people, to pick you, to be his. But you can't take that for granted and think, well, he picks everybody. No, he doesn't. He said in John 15, 16, you did not choose me. I have chosen you. Now, theologically, there's a word elect that comes to play here because the word choose and chosen comes from the same family of words as the word elect and election comes from. It simply means to make a choice, to choose. The idea is there are many choices that can be made, but the selection are few. He doesn't make a lot of choices. He makes a few in light of how many there are. If you were... uh, student and you had a Strong's Concordance, you'll find the word chosen is number 1586. I'm sure that thrills you. I'm just trying to show you the close proximity to the word chosen and the word elect. And then the word elect is 1588. So it's two numbers apart, which means it's very close in proximity. It's a compound word. It means ek, which means out of, and then choice. So God is the one who's the choice maker. You think about it. Think about it. As his created order, he, God, is the one who does the choosing. Now, Christians don't like it this way, but it's the truth. You did not choose me. I chose you. And ordained you that your life would reflect my choice, that you would go bear much fruit, that your fruit would remain. God is glorified and so forth in John 15. But it's God who does the choosing. It's God who does the working. It's God who does everything. He's the only one who can turn a life around and do all of these things. And you know what he does when he chooses you? He keeps you. You don't rise and fall. You rise. Here's a good word. And you stay rised. You're risen. Why? Because God in John 10 and 28, I think it is, He said, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me and no man shall pluck them out of my hand. What does that mean for us? 
That means we can just kick back and say, oh, well, nothing to it now. No, no, not at all, because you don't know. You don't know that you're elect with any kind of heavenly proof yet. You haven't seen the Lamb's book of life. How do you know your name is in it? How do you know you're one of his chosen? Folks, in my lifetime, I've seen far more people come to this and leave it than have come to it and stayed. In my life, I was around many, many years ago when all of this started in a denominational church where it started. And the hunger and the thirst for these new things in our life. But they weren't novel things. They became life. They were things that settled in the heart and brought a lot of persecution, a lot of misunderstanding, and a lot of difficulties, but they brought us out into a well-watered place. The wonderful effect of all those years were not shame. I can stand here and tell you today that from 1968, here we are almost 43 years later, it really has never faded. It has never gone downhill. The struggles, oh my, they're always there. The devil, he pokes that mug of his all the time in our presence. But God has never ceased to walk with us and to encourage us with his word as what we ought to say and how we ought to deal with this because he watches over to perform. He said, you can be sure that if you do that, stand on that, I will. He brought me out of the, you know that one, don't you? He brought me out of the miry clay, miry clay, horrible pit. Take a horrible pit. Now, I know horrible pit was pretty graphic for some of us. Others cannot relate to a horrible pit. Maybe some gooey, sticky clay in Sunday school class, but for some people, a horrible pit was a life you look back at full of mistakes and X's, red marks all over it, failure, weakness, confusion, shame. Oh, God, hide all of it. Oh, Lord, don't let anybody see all of this. You couldn't get right in church because all you could see was all, was all your life. All the choices, the wrong choices you made, all the consequences of wrong choices. I did this, and look what happened. I did that, and I said that, and oh, God. Maybe if I go to church, I can prolong the day of my agony, my death. And I go to church, and I think, oh, God. Oh, Jesus, I wish, I wish I could be free from this, my guilt and shame. But I'm so bad, not even God wants me. That is a horrible pit. That is a horrible pit. It's a dark place that people get in. I'm not saying everybody in this room has escaped it. I hope all of you have. But if your life has been full of so many mistakes or you backpedal and you've done, you've said and you've messed up or you've gotten a little bit in the line or cheating or a little bit or fudging and you're looking, oh, God. There's no sense in me trying to. I, <laughs> I remember the years I was in college. I'd go to church every Sunday because I knew I was dying. My lung was coughing up blood and I knew it was dying and all these other things plus the other stuff I mentioned. And I thought, you know, I am one ridiculous creature. 
I don't think I'm worth anything of value to any. Maybe my mother would see something in there worthwhile. What a mess my life is. My attitude, breaking into classes, stealing tests. I mean, stuff that, I've never shared that part, but I mean, just, <laughs> I mean, the things that you did calloused, no fear. Enjoyed it. The adventure of it all. And, and the crime was just waiting on me. And one day, the Father of glory reached down with his righteous right hand, and I couldn't believe anybody would want to reach anywhere from above and grab a nasty old head like mine. But he saved me. He brought me up. If you were in a little miry goo, you're still a sinner. You'd be grateful that, you know, you're not stuck and you're free now. But he brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. And I saw myself, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. My baptismal certificate set me free. Jesus made me free. Why? Why would he? Who cared enough about you and I when we were like this? Who cared enough about us? Nobody could bring us up. The prayer group could pray. Your mother could pray. Your friends could talk to you, preach to you, plead with you, cry with you, take your places. But nobody could wipe your slate clean. All those nasty things you did. Oh, God. And one day you turn around and you look. And I have been justified. I now relate to God just as if I'd never sinned. God no longer holds all this stuff against me. I'm free. I can come before him now. I know my mind has to be renewed. But in the kindness and the goodness of God, he led me to a place where somebody would teach me. And not just be glad that another seat is filled. We got more money coming in the coffers. We can make it bigger next year. But somebody who said, I want to show you what's right in life so you can make right decisions. Because you see, if you don't make right decisions in your life, none of this was much value. You represent God. And the world sees you by your choices that you make. If you don't make the good ones, then nothing happened here. Nothing happened here. Somebody will teach me, if somebody will just take the time to explain to me, now that I'm a Christian, how do I live? How do I get way away from this miry pit? How do I get away from it? Well, let's go back to Psalm 40 in verse 3, for number 3. And he set my feet upon a rock and did what? Established my goings. How do I get away from all of this? God does it. He's a rock. He's a rock. He's a rock. Not sinking sand. He's away. He's away in the wilderness. He's all of that, isn't he? Now notice, God is in control. God who's in control exercises his power to bring you an impossibly sinful person. He brought you out of the miry clay. He did. He brought you out of the miry clay. 
and he set you on a rock. And what did he do? Now that he set you on a rock, what does he do? Well, he just leaves you there and see if you'll make the good choice. No, God never leaves you alone because if you're left alone, you'll never make the right choices. Righteousness, right choices, right ways, right living is always the prompting of God, always. No man can do righteousness except God inspires him. God doesn't make you do the right things. God simply shows you in a very convincing way what is right. That's what faith is all about. Faith is making right choices. It's believing in somebody you can't see that you must face. And therefore, out of the godly fear of this one who is called God, that he is a consuming fire and I don't want to fall into the hands of God, I make right choices in this life, even though I can't prove anything from the natural of what I'm doing is right. I can't prove this book is without flaw. I can't prove there's a Lamb's book of life. I can't prove that the tomb I was in when I was in Israel, I can't prove the tomb I walked into. I can't prove that's where he came out of. I spoke in tongues while I was in there just to make sure. I don't know. Can't prove anything. I can't. But I don't have to because God requires me to make right decisions. I have to believe those decisions are the right ones and that they are more meaningful to me than the natural feely decisions. So I do the right things. I choose God. This is how we live. This is how we are established. Listen to what the Lord says in the Psalms about this rock. I like the rock part. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, and whom I will trust. That's a lot. That's in Psalms 18 and verse 2. Let me read you a part of Psalms 31, verse 2. Be thou my strong rock for a house of defense to save me. Can he? Is he? Then of whom should I fear and of what should I be afraid? If God be for me, who can be against me? I got the easy part. Seek first his reign and his rule, his kingdom. Kingdom of God and his right ways, right ways. Right thoughts, right ideas, right choice, right, 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 right. Whatever God gives, that's what's right. You seek that first. You seek that first. And he becomes your defense, your constant companion. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. And when it is your hour and your time to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you won't be alone. Because it is he, God, who appoints the time of the day of your death. That's not a bad thing because precious in the sight of God are the death of his saints. We win. Living or in heaven, we win. It all depends on whether or not we really get established. Take the word established. If it is God who establishes my going. Is that what it says in Psalm 40, verse 2? He establishes our goings. 
Let me ask you a question. Where are you going? People ask me that through the years. Where are we going? Where is this church going? The answer they don't want to hear is to heaven. Now, come on, give me something heady. Okay, we are in pursuit of the almighty, eternal God who has vowed to watch over us and keep us, and he will essentially give us all things we need in this life, not only to enjoy, but to prepare us for that place in heaven where there are many rooms. How's that? That'll work. Where are we going? I don't know where I'll be tomorrow. I know this. He, God, who brought me out of that mess I was in and that miry clay, that he will establish my goings. He didn't call me to sit in a rocking chair and just, I'm saved, praise God. No. Now that you're saved, you're going somewhere. Where am I going? Well, like Abraham. Remember Abraham? Abraham, you're 75 years old. It's time to leave home. Where are we going? That way. Abraham did not say, time out. What is that way? He was in what was today modern Iraq. He said, where are we going? That way. You know what he did? He packed up his gear and headed that way. He wound up in a good place, but God establishes our going. What's that song? Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You ever sang that song? Does God establish our steps if we're his people? So where am I going? I don't know where I'm going. I'm not sure where I'll be next year. I know that today my steps are ordered by the Lord. And tomorrow I will be where I'm supposed to be. And the day after tomorrow, I will be where I'm supposed to be. And the end of all of this is glory. That's a good thing. I don't have the task of trying to figure out, okay, now that we're Christians, okay, Okay, now, <clears throat> what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what. Let's go to church and listen to the word of the Lord. No, 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 no. Let's do something. We don't need all that talk. We don't need all that learning. Let's just, let's just get together and uh, let's do some stuff. Wait a minute. The Bible said God establishes his own, and he takes them where he wants his own to go. Because, you see, the word establishes in the sense of preserving you. He keeps you along the way. You don't make wrong turns. You don't go the broad way. You don't mess up when he establishes your steps. I hope you're encouraged by that because I'm not trying to go anywhere. I'm just following the leading in my heart. I'm just following the direction that my heart is dictating to me. Let me quote you some verses. Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Psalms 37 and verse 23. Or in this life, a man's heart deviseth his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We are required to assimilate things that God has shown us and think about some things and reach right conclusions, but God makes us go the right way. 
The testimony would take way too long to tell how I decided many years ago I was going to sell insurance and the following week I was preaching. Or I was going to go back to school and get a master's degree and then I'm over here. And while I'm over here, this happened and that happened. And one day, here I am. Because God is in control of all things. He's in control of people's lives that are going to affect your life. He's in control of things that you're going to confront that's designed to confront you. God makes no mistakes with us. There are Jonas in the church that try, oh, no, I no, no, and they have to get drugged through somebody's belly. But he brings them to a good place. Because when he snatched you, Thomas, when he grabbed you out of the miry clay, he said, you don't know all this yet, but you are really going to follow me, and the world's going to know that you're following me. Uh-huh. <laughs> How does he assure him of that? How can God assure that boy that? Because he's God. He makes him hear things. He didn't let him go anywhere just to hear whatever and, and become some liberal something out there flying through space. He put him somewhere that he could listen with a good mind to what is said and not believe it because a preacher said it, but because of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit within him said, Thomas, this is what this means. This is what you must do. Well, Lord, I don't see many people. No, no, wait a minute. I didn't tell you to do it because you got company. You do it because I just told you to. Because you see, if you're led by the Spirit, you're my son. It's my spirit that dictates the way you ought to go. How many times do we talk ourselves out of that? But if you want to be my child, you follow the way I lead you. See, a spiritual mind will do that. Listen at this verse. You got to lie of this one, Psalms 23. I bet you've heard it. He leadeth me beside the still waters. You like that? Who leads you beside still waters? Do we need still waters? Wouldn't still waters be better than a horrible pit? I would think that still waters would be better than miry clay. Wouldn't you? I see something wonderful here. In the busyness and the mess of all you're hearing in the world going on, it would be nice to walk with God like Adam got to in the cool of the evening. In still waters, the wind isn't blowing. You can hear every word clearly. There's peace that walks with you, and you're walking with peace. He leadeth me in the paths of what? Does he lead us in the paths of righteousness? I told you that a while ago. Why does he do that? All of you that know Psalm 23, why does God lead you in the paths of rightness? For his sake. In the end, God will be justified in his choice of you, as will be seen by the life you live. Many will say, oh, Lord, 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 Lord. But he will say, if you say, Lord, Lord, and do not what I said, you're not mine. But if you say, Lord, Lord, you'll do my will. And in that way, you will justify God. He'll take the likes of me and you. He'll work on us. He'll teach us. He'll deal with us. He'll chastise us. He'll cause you to miss a ball game to go to church. He will even cause you to see there's more worth in fellowship with him than a ball game. He will. Now, I know that's tough. 
I know that'd be hard, but he will. One day things begin to pale in light of what's really right and what is really proper and what's really worthy, things, money, fame, fortune, I'm set for life. All of that will begin to pale in light of what's coming. Not only difficulty on this earth, but Jesus Christ is coming. And you'll begin to put your lock and stock and barrel in the kingdom. It'll become more meaningful to you and me than it ever was before. There will come a day we will pray for the light to shine through all the difficulty in this world. And that light will become the the peace that'll settle in our heart because it's God saying, this is what you can count on me to do. He leads me beside still waters. He will even prepare my table for me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not, as the 91st Psalm says, I shall not be afraid. I'm not worried about my life because with long life will he satisfy me and he will show me his salvation. Man, oh man, we are the most blessed people in the world that God would do all of this for the likes of us. And finally, if you go back to that psalm again, fourthly, he not only brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, he not only establishes my goings, but he, God, does this also. He puts a new song in my mouth, a new song. It'll never win a Dove Award. A new song. Singing to the Lord a new song. Singing to the Lord all the earth. I know you don't know that one either, so just allow me to sing it. He put a new song in my mouth. What is it? Even praise unto our God. You know why some of you like to praise? Because the reality of all of this It's getting greater and greater and greater. Oh, I remember yesteryear. I do too. 40 years ago, I was there. In the middle of it, 40 years ago. And I have not lost my song in 40 years. I still have a song. And a Christian without a song is just a figure. A lonely person trying to find peace with God without a song. How many lonely people are there in a church that don't sing? That don't sing? Something in my heart like a stream running free while you're holding the garden makes me feel so happy, as happy as can be. When I think of Jesus and what he's done for me, Something in my heart like a stream running free. And I'm so glad that Jesus... What's wrong with that? How about gladness of heart? Does God do that? Oh, thou hast put gladness in my heart. Oh, praise God. Don't we sing a song that he has made me... I know you know this one. He has made me glad. He has filled my heart with what? Something. Joy or praise. 
Thou hast turned my mourning into dancing for me. Thou hast put off my sackcloth out of a horrible pit. Uh, uh. Thou hast turned my mourning into, that's the background. <laughs> and girded me with gladness to the end that my glory or my tongue may sing praises to thee and not be silent. That's it. Oh, Lord, my God. Da, 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 da. You got to have a high voice for that. That's in the Bible. You know how many times the word glad or gladness comes out in the Bible? Psalm 100, this, you know, come before the Lord with thanksgiving. It also says, come before the Lord with gladness. What I think is meant here by the new song is a cheerful attitude. Cheerfulness. I think God wants us to be cheerful people. I don't mean because we got a buck in our pocket and a job tomorrow. I mean cheerful simply because I know in whom I have believed. I know that if I died right now, in the moment after right now, I will be in heaven. I have no greater assurance in this life that compares to that one. If I die now, so many people are so afraid of death, afraid to talk about it. A young man asked his father one time, said, can I ask you a question? Father said, well, yeah. He said, where do you want to be buried when you die? That's not a bad question, is it? Oh, you shouldn't talk about death. Shouldn't talk. There's nothing wrong talking about death. We're all going to die. I don't mean we're going to die in the morning or right now or anything, but we're going to die unless we're here when the Lord comes. Be ready. Oh, death, where's your sting? Where's the fear of death? I know in whom I have believed. And the victory over death is in what I believe. So I'm not afraid of that. I don't sit around talking about, let's, let's talk about dying. No, I don't do that. But I do know that every now and then dying comes up. And you can put a smile on your face. That dear saint that died whose casket lies before you. I know you grieve because people are gone. I don't mean that. But you think about it. Somebody's gone to heaven. Somebody is there. Oh, they're there. They are there. And as much as I missed my brother Idy, and I cannot believe he would leave and have nobody to call. He's a happy man now. He's home. He is home. Nothing wrong with that. God has made me glad. He really has made me glad. Let me read this for you, and then I'm going to quit. Psalms 105 and verse 43 says, And he brought forth his people with joy, and his chosen with gladness. Are you chosen this morning? Then there has to be a gladness about you. There has to be praise in your mouth. There has to be joy in your life. If you can go to church after church after meeting after meeting and not worship God, I wonder if you know him. If he walked in this room and stood here where you could see him, you would be on your faces worshiping God from deep, deep within your heart. Well, I got news for you. Jesus said where two or more were gathered together, he's there in the midst. He's here. Bow your head with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, 
I want to thank you for the encouraging things in your word, in your wonderful way that you relate to us, protect us, sustain us, guide us, and keep us. Help us to be spiritually alert with minds that are tuned in, hearts that are willing to trust. Ask you to bless everybody here this morning, those who need conviction and surrender. Bless them with it. It comes from you too. For those who just got a need to be blessed, I ask you to bless them. Our brothers that are in other countries, our sisters, our friends in other places in the midst of life and death, give them a glad heart. Sustain them and keep them, Lord. I ask you to bless those that are here today with the very greatest need in their life, the ones that have the greatest need, Lord. May this day be a day of conviction. And I give you thanks this morning for being our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Hallelujah. Amen. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness. Thine, O Lord, is the power. Thine, O Lord, is the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the
It's the blood that redeems my life from destruction. It's the blood that paid the price. It's the blood that seals the Glory to God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the Lord. Praise God. Blessed be the Lamb of God. Amen. God is good, isn't he? Amen.